Okay, Romans chapter 5. It will be verses 1 through 5. We'll cover verse 1 uh, last class, so but we'll uh, at least include it in our reading. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And uh, the heading, which you see on that handout if you still have it, the heading for that is uh, Peace with God, Peace of God. Another uh, side heading that you can put there, um, because this is a lot of things that we do. One of the things that we're going to, and really, you know, pretty much everything, I guess, that we will end up be talking about is the, some of the benefits of what we have in Christ. Uh, but we're going to see some of that, of what, what you have in Christ, because of what Christ has done. Uh, so peace with God, peace of God, and you can put a slash or whatever, however it's parenthesis, whatever you want to do. But you could also say uh, benefits of, of Calvary. There's a few a few things, not all of them, but you'll begin to see some of them spelled out by Paul of, you know, what, what things that we have because of what Christ did. And we only got it in Christ. That was the only way that we were able to come about these things is it had to be in Christ. So, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, when you're there, say amen. Amen. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation works patience. And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So remember that word, therefore, and I said anytime you see the word, therefore, then you should ask yourself, what is it, therefore? Anytime you see the word, therefore, ask yourself, what is it, therefore? It was put there for a reason. Uh, most of the time, when you see the word therefore, the writer, in this case Paul, is referring back to something he had just previously told you. So because of what Paul had just previously told us, really in the whole book of Romans, but chapter 4, because of what I just told you, being justified by faith, because he just showed how we're justified by faith, not by anything else. So, uh, and then he says, we have peace with God. And then the key, it says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we talked about peace, that word peace, there's two. There's justifying peace, sanctifying peace. You can see that on your, your handout. But it's referring to justifying peace here, which is your position in Christ that you have. That remember, you've been given a standing with God once we were sinners and then when we placed our faith in Christ and what he did at the cross, then that title was basically removed and we got the title of righteous. We were once unrighteous and then we were given righteousness, imputed righteousness. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is what was given to us. So we went from unrighteous to righteous. And because of that, we were 
that once we had we were at enmity with God, we were separate from God, and sin was really what caused that. In the garden, uh, Adam and Eve walked with God daily. In the cool of the day, they would walk. They would walk with God and have a relationship with God. And because of the fall, that stopped. They were actually kicked out of the garden, so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life. But they couldn't have relationship with God unless a sacrifice was offered. Mm -hmm. That was before before the fall. No sacrifice had to be offered. They could have relationship with God. Sin didn't enter into the, the equation anywhere. But once sin entered into the equation, sin is what caused the separation between us and God. And we're born with sin. We're born into sin. You are born with a sin nature. No way around it. You can't gain a relationship with God based off of what you do or don't do. Because you were already disqualified at birth because you're born with the sin nature. Uh, one of my professors at Bible college, Brother Larson, he said, if you, do, if you don't believe in the sin nature, if you don't think that that's true, even though uh, the, the Bible bears it out, if you don't believe that the sin nature is real and it exists, stick two one-year-old or two-year-old kids in a playpen and put one duck in it. <laughs> and you'll find out the sin nature exists. That comes natural. Being selfish is it's natural. You don't need any help learning that. But yet, when it comes in, if you're a parent, you know, if you've been a parent before, you know that what you have to do is you have to teach your kids how to do the right thing. But you do not have to teach them how to do the wrong thing. They'll naturally do that on their own. They don't need any help with that. Because we're born with the sin nature. That's just evidence of that. That you will not, what you will not see is one two-year-old say to the other two-year-old, you go ahead and play with that duck first. I'll wait until you're done. <laughs> and then once you're done playing, then, then, then I'll play. But yeah. you can go first and you just and you play with it until you're done. That is not going to happen. <laughs> because the sin nature and you're being dominated by the sin nature. So we're born with that. We're disqualified all from relationship with God. We're disqualified immediately the moment we are born. Because we're born with the sin nature that literally draws us to the wrong thing. We have a bent a natural bit at birth to do the wrong thing and not the right thing. And we'll do it every time. Before we got saved, you naturally did the wrong thing every time. You didn't. Nobody had to teach you it. You naturally did the wrong thing. And when you did something that wasn't wrong, you did it for selfish motives. I'll do the right thing because it benefits me. If, if the right thing doesn't benefit me, <laughs> ooh, no sir, I don't think so. I'll be doing the wrong thing. And we that's why that's why just doing something right doesn't credit you for anything because you can do the right thing and it's only be selfish motives. 
this is just a really simple example, but you can be really, really rich and you can give money to charity after charity after charity. And at the end of the day, you'll get a tax break for it. Well, I gave to all these charities, but if your selfish motive is just simply tax break. But yet it looks really good. On the outside, it looks really good. That's why the gospel throws all that out and says, forget it. Just throw it out. No, that ain't going to fly here. It doesn't work. Well, so the sin nature. So we're, we're born separated from God. And the only way that Adam and Eve could have a relationship with God was offer up a sacrifice. And you see that all through the Old Testament. In order, they had to be ceremonially clean. In order to have a relationship with God, there had to be, you had to be ceremonially clean. You, you had to offer a sacrifice. So, we, that still exists for us. That's all type and shadow. Christ is the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And he's come. So by with your faith in him, you offer up the sacrifice. By faith, you do it. And that, Christ, because of Christ, then you see peace. Uh, like I said, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christ and what he did and your faith in that. You now went from being an enemy of God and separated to having peace, which the word peace means to be joined back together. Uh, one of the things I said it would be an example is a, a rope is braided of many different strands. A rope is just different strands of cord or whatever it could be that are just simply braided together. And they're, they're so close that they just made one, basically. And that's what we say. Oh, we have a rope. But it's just a bunch of individual uh, strands. We were like just a strand blocked out on its own. We were separated from God. But in Christ, it's as if it's woven back together. So now that's how close you are. You're in Christ. Christ is in the Father. That's how close you get. That's how close you are. Um, that's why if somebody tells you that if you do this, you'll get closer to God, you can't get no closer. <laughs> you, you are in Him. Well, if you fast for 20 days, you will be closer to God. You can't get no closer than being in Him. You are joined together. Go look up the word peace and you'll find out, wait a minute, I'm joined back together with God. Can't get no closer than that. And you already have that in Christ. You don't need anything else. You don't need fasting to bring you closer to God. Let's see that. It goes back to one of the problems in the church world is we just, we we don't know any of this stuff. We just don't know. So someone can come along and you can be deceived. Kind of like what my dad was talking about this morning. You can be Deceived and in a sense drawn away simply because you don't know. That's true. A lot of a lot of there is there are people that just outright reject the cross and reject their are. But a lot of people in the church world just it's just ignorance. We just don't know. We don't know that I don't need anything else to make me one with God. I'm already 
as close as I'm going to get because mm -hmm. I'm baptized into Christ. I'm placed in the body of Christ. Yes. And Christ is in the Father. I can't get any closer than that. <laughs> and the only, the only way that we got that is through our Lord Jesus Christ and what He did at the cross. And remember I said, anytime you see uh, through Christ, in Christ, uh, there's a lot of different... Lot of, actually, we see one right there in verse 2, which is where we're about to go. It says, by whom. That by whom, that's talking about Christ. Remember, we got to keep, keep everything in context. Verse, verse 1 and then verse 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom, also, talking about Christ. So that by whom means the same thing as basically through our Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about Christ and what he did at the cross. So anytime you see Paul use it a bunch of times. In Christ, by Christ, in whom, by whom, all of these different, there's like through Christ, through him, through, and there's so many different ones, but they all basically kind of the same idea. Uh, okay, Dad, you ready? Yes. Okay, verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Speaks of uh, access to the throne of God and at all times. Uh, you can see that in John chapter 16, verse 26. I'm going to flip there and read it real quick. John chapter 16, verse 26. Says, at that day you shall ask in my name and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. Where was that at? John chapter 16 verse 26. Uh, did you get that? John chapter 16 26. Okay. Once a sinner comes to Christ he is then made a new cre creation. And as well, a part of the family of God. Consequently, there are many privileges with access to the throne of God being among them. So right now we see, the first thing we saw was peace. So uh, that's probably one of the best things. Privileges that we have in Christ would be probably one of the better headings for this, for kind of where we are right now. So the first that we have is peace with God. Being joined back together. The second thing that we see now is access. First we have peace. And now we have access to the throne of God. And you have that through Christ. Because remember at the very beginning of verse 2 it says by whom. And that word by, that word, that phrase by whom goes right back to the one right before it. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through our Lord Jesus Christ we also have access to the throne of God. That's why what my dad said, you don't need there is no mediator between God and man but Christ. Someone and this and as I'm, I I know I'm pretty sure as we travel through this, you know, you see things that get walking well so this denomination or whatever, whoever said well they believe this and this would totally contradict that. Because Catholicism says that the priest is basically Christ, especially the Pope, 
Pope is like the Pope is like Christ here on earth. Uh, no, garbage. That's actually to lay against Scripture, because right here it just says, "By whom also we have access by faith into this grace." By whom? By whom? Christ. Yes. By Christ, we have access to the throne of God. I don't need to go. I don't need to go to the Pope. I don't need to go to my dad. I have access. Right in my home, wherever I'm at, actually, I don't have to be at home, and I don't have to be at church. Wherever I find myself at that exact moment that I need access because something's happening, I have access, and it hasn't because of me or anybody else. It's because of Christ Jesus and what He did. No matter, I can be in the grocery store and something hits me. I can feel something that just comes upon me, and I immediately. Have access into the throne room of God anytime I need it because of Jesus. That's why you don't need, you don't need to go to anybody else. The truth is, I don't even need to go to the pastor of the church. I'm just this is somewhat of a side, but it kind of goes with it. The past pastors get used a whole lot more than what they should be. Yeah. Well, the pastor's going to help all my needs. Pastor can't meet all his own needs. <laughs> pastor got to go to the same source that you should have to go to, and it's Christ. But yet, we have placed the pastor in a place that God does. God doesn't even ask him to do those things, but we demand that the pastor. Well, pastor, you're supposed to be finally. That's what you're here for, right? No, he's not here for that, actually. Christ is here to meet every need that you have. The pastor's job is to just show you. Amen. Well, there's just too much. Too much. There's too much put on the pa on pastors in churches, and we wonder why they wear down. Yeah. And then before too long, they just because. It's not scriptural. The things that we put on pastors are they're not scriptural. If it's scriptural, praise God, Amen. I'm totally for it. If it's not, God's not asking him to. So we're asking him to do something that God has never asked him to do. Yeah. And then if he doesn't do it, well, I'm leaving this church because this pastor. You might be exactly where God wants you, but you'll leave. Just because the pastor didn't do something that you thought he should have done, which is not even scriptural anyway. Yes. I have a reference to John 10 9 where it says, I am the door. So he is our access. He is the door. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's another. Yep. We're supposed to work out our own salvation. Yep. Not the pastor. Not the pastor. The, the, yeah, the, the truth is, pastor can only do so much for you. <laughs> pastor can point you to the right in the right place. He can point you to Christ and what he did at the cross. After that, he can do nothing for you. Yes. That is the that is biblically the truth. One of the best things that I ever experienced in my entire life was at Bible college. Because I myself, my, my dad's been a pastor most of my life, so I had I, I had a twisted view of what it really was. And uh, my professors, they're awesome, wonderful people, men of God, uh, great examples. But uh, they also aren't necessarily going to tap out you every step of the way. <laughs> and 
As Brother Larson can be uh, interesting sometimes. Um, <laughs> Brother Larson will straight up tell you. Well, I mean, I, I can't really help you. Well, Brother Larson, I, I'm really struggling with this. Well, I mean, we point you to Christ and the cross every day in class. That's the only answer. If you're not satisfied with that answer, I don't have another one for you. I can't help you. Now, at that exact moment, <laughs> that's like, you're supposed to be, you know, Encouraging me. I need some help, man. <laughs> but yet, the one thing he did was, and it, bar, it was just stuck with me, burnt in my mind. Christ is the only one that can help you. No matter how much, no matter how great you think a minister is, or no matter how great you think a fellow believer, brother or sister is in Christ, they're just as weak as you are. Mm -hmm. And they need the grace of God just as much as you do. That's right. And they get it from the same place that you can get it. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Jesus. And if, in all reality, if he wouldn't have directed in that way, he's not doing, he's not showing me the love of God. And he's not helping me either. Because... And he might help me in that situation, but when the next one comes, mm -hmm. guess where I'll run? Mm -hmm. Not to Christ, yeah. but Brother Larson. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the trend that we see in the church. Yeah. And if the pastor doesn't help me, then obviously I need another pastor. Yeah. At another church, obviously, yeah. who will help me. And they just church hopping because yeah. this pastor helps through this situation, and then this pastor helps through this situation. And this pastor, it's really not any different than someone that has a need and then someone helps them with that need and then they have a different need that somebody can't help. So then they need to go find somebody else to help. It's no longer about Christ. Then. It has nothing to do with Christ. <laughs> nope. So it's only in Christ we'll get to the, because otherwise I'll get off. Let me say, let me say this, Derek, because you're using me as an example so much. <laughs> let me say this. Remember I was talking this morning about how the enemy will subtle. He, he, he will use every means possible to get you uh, focused away. Yeah, yeah. What he's talking about is a good example about how, and he can do it for anybody, anybody in leadership, anybody that ministers to others. One of the things that the enemy will tell you Especially if you're a pastor, people come to you in prayer, counseling, talk to them, help them, and you help them, and you do, because you want to help people, you love people, and is, and you're doing a lot of good for people. People really love you. You're really helping them. You need to keep meeting there for them, because they're depending on you. And I will tell you that, that's the enemy. Because okay. And it's appealing to your flesh. That's right. Yeah, they need me. They need me. That's right. They need me. Yeah, they think that means translated. They think that I'm worth something. They think that I have wisdom. They need me. I don't know how many times my wife has told me, you know, you need to, you need to kind of like let them uh, grow on their own. You don't need to keep on helping them. You don't need to. Keep. And it's so true. Sometimes we can do people a disservice. Ourselves too, yeah. but do them a disservice 
if we try to be there every time to, to, to counsel them through it, to help them through it, to talk them through it, I realize there's sometimes that you need to be there for somebody. I realize that, but we cannot guide them every step of the way. Sometimes they just have, we have to trust God. We have to trust them with God. Just as we have to let our children go into God's hands and trust trust them with God or trust God with them. And so as a pastor, I'm actually not exercising faith in the very one I'm supposed to tell them about. If I try to be there for them, then what am I doing? I'm actually getting in between them and the Holy Spirit. And I'm trying to be that mediator between God and them. And there comes a point I have, I got to step back. I got to make sure that I point them to the one that can help them and then get out of the way and let Christ do the work in them. You know, it's common sense. You can't get to a door if someone's standing in front of it. So we have to get out of the way. If Christ is the door, we got to get out of the way. Well, that Jesus said that about the Pharisees. That you won't let uh, you won't enter yourself, and you won't, but you won't let anybody else enter either. Yeah. You're standing in the way, and religion stands in the way. Yeah. It just well, goes to show you how important the chief cornerstone is. Yeah, yeah. The, anything, all the other, like what you were talking about, it, it really appeals to the flesh, like you said, and, and it appeals to our self importance. It makes you feel important. Yeah. Um, makes pride. you feel needed. Makes it is pride. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It makes you feel important. It makes you feel needed. Mm-hmm. But yet, to, you, you, each one of us are the neediest people on earth because we need Christ, or else we are lost. Mm-hmm. So, we who are lost. It's hard to, and I don't mean lost as unsaved. I just mean, uh, unsaved, lost, not the right word, weak. Yeah. Us, we're, each one of us are weak, mm-hmm. and we're sheep who will go astray yeah. like that, and we won't even know that we're astray mm-hmm. until we're stuck in the mud. Mm-hmm. And then we have to be rescued. So how am I one sheep, one dumb sheep, going to... I'm gonna, no, don't worry, oh, you other sheep, you, I'll lead you. <laughs> yeah. Don't have no fear, other sheep. I, the chief sheep, I'll lead you. We're all going to be in the mud because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and I'll deceive my own self. Yes, yeah, right. And do it because, honestly, in that situation, like what he's talking about in that circumstance, Let's, I, what I would tell myself is, well, God's just using me. Yes. God's using me to minister to them. If you were, point, I tell you what, if you were pointing them to Christ, then I would say yes. But if you're not pointing them to Christ, then no. In all reality, Satan is using you. That's not fun to say, and it's, you know, like, oh. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're going to go to hell, because remember Peter, Satan used Peter when he said, oh, be, "Be it far from you, Lord, to go to the cross." I tell you what, that ain't going to happen. 
And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Basically, you don't. He was a tool in Satan's hand at that moment. And we can be that way at moments. We, oh, but no, I'm born again. I'm a believer. <laughs> yes, you are, and you will still be used as a tool in Satan's hand at times. If you don't have the right object of faith, you, you'll fall right into that trap. Oh, well, no, God's using me, but I'm not pointing them to Christ. And that's how the Holy Spirit works, is to bring them to Christ. And what he's done, I used this verse last, uh, last week in class, and I love the verse so much. It says, the Spirit, and it's in Revelation, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. The, the Spirit, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, says, come. Come to what? Come to Christ. And what he's done at the cross. The Spirit says, come. And then it says, the bride says, come. To what? Christ. Oh, wait a minute. Hold up. So we, as the bride of Christ, the church, we should be saying the same thing that the Spirit of God is saying, which is saying, come. To what? Christ. So if we are not doing that, then it ain't the Holy Spirit leading us. It's uh, some other spirit. Because the scripture says the spirit and the bride, that's you, say come. Talking about Jesus. The spirit and the bride, say come. So if you are saying come to Jesus, then you're not in line with the spirit. It's another spirit. That you're being guided by. Because if it's the Holy Spirit, then he's always going to say, come to Christ. <laughs> so as ministers, and I say pastors because they're really the ones that have the most interaction with, uh, on a regular basis, you know, at least. Uh, that they just get used for that. And if, if, they, if they aren't saying, come to Christ, then... So we can deceive, like I said, we would deceive our own hearts. Well, no, God's using me, praise God. I'm a blessing to them, all these different things. So, uh, we, we definitely, we just, man, we're so weak. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the Lord, that's for sure. <laughs> this speaks, so going back to uh, by whom also we have access by faith. This speaks of prayer and more particularly intercession which is instant access, which can be had on the spur of the moment and at any place and time. Just like I say, you'd be in the grocery store or whatever, and man, you can you can enter in into the throne of grace right in the middle of the bread aisle. Because that's the type of access that you have in Christ. If you're in Christ, in the book of... Uh, Esther. In the book of Esther, when she wanted to go into the king's presence, she had to be approved by the king. And the way that he would do that is he would reach out that scepter and it would basically be pointing at her. And if that happened, she could come in. Because of Christ, every time you go to enter in to the throne of grace, the scepter's out. Amen. Yes. Yes. No matter where you're at, 
No matter what you're going through, no matter how bad you're failing in sin, in Christ, every time that you go to the throne room of grace to find help, you have access, the scepter's out. Yes. And it's pointed right at you and it's saying, come. Yes, amen. Uh, the word access, uh, you can see it on your handout. Uh, in the Greek is P-R-O-S-A-G-O-G-U-E. Uh, it should be on your handout. Page three. Page three on your handout. Access in the Greek, P-R-O-S-A-G-O-G-U-E. And that refers to a landing stage. The total idea of the word pertains to access into and rest in a haven or harbor. When a ship is, when there's a bad storm and the ship needs somewhere to go or else it's going to get destroyed. If, it, if the ship stays out in the uh, ocean, they are going to be destroyed. So what that ship has to do is it has to find access into a haven or a harbor so they can get out of all of that crazy rough stuff <laughs> and into a little, yeah, I mean, we all know harbor a little, yeah. and they can basically put the anchor down and it's off and the ship will make it. But if they don't find a haven or a harbor like that, the ship most likely will not make it through the storm and it will be destroyed. So, if you're a ship, if you are a ship and you find yourself, you find yourself in a storm, you have a harbor that you can go to every time. In your life, the storms will come. But the good news is, when they come, you have a haven and a harbor that you can go to every time. Yes. Every time. And you have access into that haven and harbor because of Christ. You have access to the throne room of grace because of Jesus and what He did. Because you're in Christ. Amen. You have access into the harbor every time. Every time, every time, doesn't matter how many times you need the harbor, you have access every time, over and over and over again. Access into that harbor every time. Benefits because of Jesus Christ. Benefits, peace with God. Access into the throne room of grace. No matter how bad the storm is. Amen. That's it. Mm. That's good. Uh, the next part, that into this grace, where in this thing. That's true. Okay. Um, let's see. Let me uh, fix this. Into this grace, wherein we stand. Refers to the fact that the believer is set before the throne of God in a righteousness that is spotless. And a life that is endless and in a dignity that is glorious. 
All of the sins of the believer are canceled by God in the death of Christ. God has consequently no sins to impute to him. That matter has been eternally settled by Christ's sufferings, atonement, and his resurrection attest to the fact. Uh, there, is, there is therefore... I'm going to stop before I read that and we'll kind of explain this a little bit more because it's too good to just... So God has consequently no sins to impute to him. Could we talk about being in Christ? Say, into this grace wherein we stand. All of the sins of the believer are canceled by God in the death of Christ. God has consequently no sins to impute to him. So any, if, if, if it was like this, if, if the enemy or whatever, whoever had, if I was Satan basically, and my dad is the believer, and I'm going to bring this book that has all of his sins and failures against God. I'm going to bring this to God. And I'm going to have, this, is, this is what will be imputed to his account. All of this sin is going to go under his name in the record book. And it's going to show all of his sins that he did. I'm showing this to God. The death of Christ and his faith in Christ and what he did at the cross has now made this book blank. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. There's nothing there. <laughs> so now, when I take this book to God, the only thing he sees is blank. There's nothing. In the record books, there will show that you didn't sin at all. Ever. Now, you know that you did. <laughs> but in the record book, in the accounting books of heaven, it's blank. Debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. That's right. There is nothing that can be accredited to his account. As far as sin goes, it, 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 there's nothing there. You know, that's part of the, the fight of faith because, like I said, we know. We know and we remember every fault, every failure, and every sin that we've ever committed. We struggle with it. Yes, we Yes, But if, if you have your eyes fixed on Christ and what he's done for you, then I'm telling you that you'll see that it's been blotted out and it's like it doesn't even exist and that when you look at that because that's a benefit of what Christ has done the Holy Spirit's going to come alongside of you and he's going to make that real to your heart and life and you'll not only read it but you'll know in your heart there ain't nothing there baby <laughs> it's gone but it's tough for us sometimes because we remember yes we remember the fight of faith. What are you going to believe? Do you believe what God says about your sins? Yeah. Are you going to believe what your own mind tells you, what the enemy tells you, or what another man tells you? But God says in Christ, they're gone. Like it never even happened. 
Like it never happened. That matter has been eternally settled by Christ's suffering. I'm sorry, I said suffering earlier too. Sufficing atonement and resurrection attest to the fact. If one sin that you committed in your life, in your entire life, I'm talking about even to the point where you die. If one of those sins didn't get paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, then the resurrection could not have happened. The fact that Christ has risen from the dead means that all sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for in totality. And the price that was paid was enough. There's only one thing that will keep that sin from being forgiven and wiped out by the blood of Jesus, and that's if you don't confess. If you don't confess and ask for forgiveness, if you don't repent, you can't be forgiven. That's the only way, though. If you blow it 50,000 times and every time you repent and you mean it with your heart, then at the end of the day, the records will show that you never sinned. Because all sin, past, present, and future has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the fact that he was raised from the dead on the third day means that all sin was taken care of. Otherwise, he would have died and not been raised back to life. Because the sting of sin is death. But if he defeated all sin, then the sting of sin also is removed, which is death. That's why we won't experience it. You will not experience death, spiritual death. You're, this body will die. But as far as spiritual death goes, it ain't happening. You will live forever. Because this life after this earth is spiritual life. That's why the most important thing about the gospel is spiritual, not your temporal needs on this earth, because this body's passing away. But the spirit lives forever. Whether whether you're saved or not, you technically you're going to live forever. It's called eternity for a reason. <laughs> Living is just simply being in relationship with God. That's why hell, that's what makes hell so bad. Eternal separation from God. Never to feel his presence, never to know him, never ever again. That in scripture is what's referred to as death. Being separated from God is death. That's why he said if you eat, the, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. Did they physically die right away? No. They were going to die eventually. Physically. But immediately, spiritual death, they could not have a relationship with God. Okay, there is therefore no longer any question as to the believer's sin between him and God. The sin question was the looming, all-encompassing, and disturbing factor in relation to God, and Christ removed it according to the requirements of divine righteousness. He bore 
infinitely all the wrath of God due to sin and its fruit and satisfied and vindicated all the claims of the throne of God against man as a sinner. Christ took the wrath that was meant for you because that was your sin. He died for your sin, took the wrath that was meant for you, took the death that was meant for you. He took it so you could have life. We talked about Brother Bob calls it the great exchange. He took our wrath, our curse, our death, our shame, all upon himself so that you could have his righteousness, his life, his joy, his peace, his hope, his love. I mean, everything. The great exchange. Grace here is seen as a haven or harbor, as we talked about earlier. Now, this is good. When I read this, the French have a word for this access. They call it, uh, I think it's entree. It refers to one being brought before a uh, protentate, which is a monarch or ruler. Yeah, probably didn't say it right. Uh, it just means a monarch or a ruler by a friend who has properly attired him in order to present him into the presence of the king. That is exactly what Jesus does for a believing sinner. He clothes him with himself as his righteousness, cleanses him in his own precious blood and brings him into the full favor or grace of God the Father. This is entree. In the, we go right back to the book of Esther. Yes. Esther was going to have to go before the king. And she asked the servant. Because the servant knew the king better than anybody else. And, and she asked the servant, what should I wear? All the other women that were going to go before the king. And they didn't ask that. Because no. they got their pick. You could pick from anything and everything that you wanted. And they all picked the finest jewelry. The finest dresses. The finest everything. They all got just. Man they were dressed up as fancy as they could possibly get. But Esther turned to the servant. Who knows the king more than anyone else. And says. What should I wear? I tell you what. Why don't you dress me? Christ knows the Father far greater than you do. Yes. And He who is going to take you into His presence knows exactly what you need. Do we think of it this way? Religion is exactly that. Just fig leaves. Just fig leaves. God's not interested in fig leaves. That's all that is. It, it, religion says get the finest works, get the finest. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. If we have the finest uh, buildings, the finest this and that, that God would love that. 
the best works, the be all of these, the best disciplines, the best laws, all of these things. And if you take that into His presence, you will not see a scepter reached out to you. But Esther said, what should I wear? And he told Esther everything to wear. And you know what happened in that story? She was chosen to be the next queen. Because he liked what he saw. <laughs> if, you let, if you're in Christ... God likes what He sees. In Christ, He He likes what He sees. So that word access entree, Christ takes us, and He's going to present us to the Father, and He clothes us in His righteousness, and that's what He knows that that's what the Father desires. So what you can you can dress in your own righteousness. Or you can have his righteousness. But I'll just tell you now, the Father really likes the righteousness of Christ. Yes. So your best bet is to just put that on. <laughs> Get into Jesus. Get in Christ. So we see kind of that story in Esther is a pretty, really good example. Actually. Favor with God. Favor with God. What do I need? What, whatever, whatever he likes, that's what I want. Well, he likes the righteousness of Christ. Ooh, I want that then. Well, he likes faith in his sacrifice. Ooh, put that on. <laughs> whatever he wants, whatever he likes, that's what I want. Uh, Dad, um, and rejoice. Uh, and rejoice in hope. Oh, oh, sorry. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This portrays three things. If the believer even halfway understands the tremendous privileges and favor afforded him as a result of him standing in Christ, such will bring a perpetual rejoicing. Man is a spiritual being as well as a physical and mental. As such, only God can truly satisfy the hunger and thirst of the soul. When he, gives, when he is given his rightful place in the believer's heart and life, as Peter said, it is truly joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. The second thing is the hope here, talking about in the passage, the hope that we see in the passage here presented, does not mean that hope is that which we glory but that being in a state of hope, we glory. Yes. The idea is that the future is guaranteed respecting things, respecting these great things that God will do. But we do not know exactly when it will happen. This is our state of hope. We know that we have some great things ahead in Christ we're going to receive a new body a resurrected body 
We're going to be like him. There's so many that we're going to be before. There's so many things that we know are promised in Christ. We know that. We just don't know when it's going to happen. That's true. But we have that constant state of hope. Oh, no, no, no. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. One of these days. One of these days. I'm going to reach the other shore. Amen. One of these days. These feet will be on the other shore. My dad said it this morning. When I wake up in glory, one of these days, these feet won't be here. Tell me on the other shore. The glory of God is that which is coming. Even though we are given much evidence in the word of God concerning that which is to come, still it is so far beyond what we now see or know that one is little able to properly evaluate such coming glory. Paul said, for now we see through a glass darkly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. The hope here is that of ultimately participating in the glory of heaven. I didn't say it like three times, but whatever. One of these days, one, we're not going to go any further. Uh, I, well, I, I know we're moving a little bit slower, just one verse at a time, but there's a lot right here in the first part. So, which, you know, first five, uh, first five, chapter five, six, seven, eight. I mean, all these are going to have a lot in it, but one of these days will be on the other shore. Yes. Yes. I can't wait. Amen. I can't wait to be on the other shore. Not here in, on this earth, but the other shore. To be with Jesus 24-7. There's no time in heaven, but that's the only way we comprehend. 24-7. I'll be in his presence 24-7. I'll be right there saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. Holy, holy, holy. All praise, honor, glory, power, dominion. To the Lamb of God. And I'm going to see him face to face. There's like 50 songs going through my head. So. <laughs> I'm going to see him face to face. I'll walk the streets of gold. And the only thing I'm going to be concerned about is I want to see Jesus. Yes. Mm. Can't wait. Amen. Amen. Mm.